Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today I had the honour of speaking with one of my heroes, Gerald Pollock. Jerry is a world-leading authority on water. He has had a fruitful career with backgrounds in electrical engineering, muscle physiology and water. He has written dozens of peer-reviewed journal articles and several books including Cells, Gels and the Engines of Life, as well as The Fourth Phase of Water where he eloquently outlines how water undergoes phase transitions to generate energy, as well as drive cellular functions. Jerry is an open-minded and inquisitive scientist who refuses to let dogma and bias interfere with his work. I had an amazing time getting to talk to him today about many interesting topics like cellular energy, rethinking basic biological principles, weather, as well as discussing their implications. With that being said, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks for coming on today, Jerry. I um I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Um, I guess I just wanted to get a little bit of a background on, um, on your career and and how you ended up studying water of all things, and maybe if you could give a little bit of information about what you're currently studying, that would be awesome. Uh, so you've got three questions there. Which one should I answer? <laughs> Uh, let's let's uh, let's get a background on your career. I'd love to know where it all started. It started uh, it started uh, uh, when I was studying electrical engineering as an undergraduate student, uh, and um, I then went to graduate school at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. And by some uh, coincidence, had nothing to do with my interest now. The the chair of the department and and other faculty members in the department had interest in water. Uh, and for me, it was so boring that I couldn't, I couldn't wait to get away from any of the lectures. They were, they were talking about bound water, that is water that's bound to, to um, macromolecules and such. And I couldn't understand why that might be important, uh, nor could some of the other students there. Uh, there weren't too many who were really enthusiastic about about the subject, and, and that's not how I got started. I was doing my graduate work in, in the area of muscle contraction, and I started my career at the University of Washington in Seattle studying muscles. Uh, I was really curious how muscles work at the molecular level. I was in that field exclusively, uh, pretty much, for a period of two decades, maybe two and a half decades. Uh, it was incredibly interesting for me. Uh, I thought we made important contributions. Few people had any interest in listening to what we had to say. Um, and I came to realize after, after a while, it was not that what we said was wrong or insignificant by any means, uh, but it was just the way, it's kind of the way science was, that um, uh, if there was a prevailing theory, which there was, and still is, uh, and the theory is put forth by someone who is important, significant, and that was, the person was Sir Andrew Huxley, a member of the famous Huxley family, Nobel laureate, uh, uh, president of, uh, uh, Royal Society, uh, Master of Trinity College, Cambridge. You know, when, when he walked into the room, it was as though God walked in. It was a hush. And if you're in the field, 
have muscle contraction, trying to figure out how the proteins interact with one another uh, to generate force and motion. And you've got two choices. One is to follow the leader, that is Sir Andrew Huxley. And the other is to find yourself interested in some alternative views of which there were actually quite a few um, because the theory has so many problems. Um, uh, and so most of the people were perfectly happy being anointed by uh, Sir Andrew Huxley uh, and, and such, and not so interested in, in, in finding out about an alternative point of view. I'd gone so far as to have, uh, have written a book on muscle contraction, published in 1990, in which I explained why I saw the evidence uh, as, as in total absolute disagreement with the prevailing theory, which still prevails, by the way, it changed very little in the past 60 or 70 years and accepted by almost everybody. Um, uh, I, that was my goal. And, and the book, um, the book um, I, I noticed when I visited my colleagues uh, was on practically every shelf, but nobody read it because nobody was really interested in seeking, well, I, you know, I like seeking truth, but uh, maybe that's a bit of a harsh statement because I think many scientists feel that they are pursuing truth. But uh, it didn't get anywhere. And it's not why I left the field at all, because I was enjoying myself. Um, I, you know, we had, there were lots of students in the lab. It was an exciting place. And my students were getting jobs in different laboratories. But uh, one day, by some coincidence, <coughs> by some quirk, um, <coughs> the fellow was coming to work in my laboratory from Hungary. I picked him up at the airport with his wife, uh, including lost baggage. Uh, and we started chatting in the car and he was telling me, you know, he said, Jerry, this was a guy who was senior to me in terms of age. He said, there's a guy uh, uh, who passed away a couple of years ago in Hungary. And, uh, and there's a symposium to honor him, uh, a famous biophysicist, and you should go. Why should I go? Well, there were two subjects that interested this guy. One was muscle contraction, and his ideas differed from the mainstream ideas, and, and you could be there to represent the field of muscle contraction. And, and there's also, his other field was water. And there's a guy there, a pretty famous guy, his name is Gilbert Ling, and he's going to be there to represent water. Um, so I thought, okay, what do I have to lose? You know, a nice trip to, to Hungary. It turns out that uh, uh, my family origin generations ago was actually in, in that region of, of Eastern Europe. So another reason to go and, and, and visit. Um, and I'd heard of Gilbert Ling before because uh, he was pointed out to me. He had been working in Philadelphia where I was studying. And I was sitting at, I remember sitting at a, a dinner table once, uh, it was a banquet. And a fellow graduate student was sitting next to me and he said, hey, Jerry, look, three tables, three tables over, here's that guy, uh, Gilbert Ling, that crackpot. He had some really weird idea. He has some, has some really weird idea that, that the water inside the cell is, is nothing, uh, nothing like, um, like this kind of water that's, that's sitting here. He said, this guy thinks that 
the molecules are, are all lined up and organized, kind of like soldiers at attention. He's a weird guy. And I, you know, it was way out of any context at all. And I, I, I remember it to this day because it's rare that somebody will be sitting next to you and will point out several tables away about um, a guy who was kind of, kind of uh, thought of as, as weird. Uh, and, and, and as I said, it happened that my department had some interest in water. And so there was a kind of connection there. But so anyway, I, I knew about Gilbert Ling and, and that gave me even more incentive to go there. So I went to this conference. I presented my stuff on muscle contraction, seemed to have been received okay by, by those people. And then Gilbert Ling presented his work. And it was not just his work that was presented, but also the work of a dozen other people who'd come to the conference to present their work in support of Gilbert Ling. And I met those two and I, I came away terribly impressed. I, I saw that Gilbert Ling had cogent arguments to present uh, uh, for, in terms of his point of view. And uh, I saw that the evidence that was presented by others fit very nicely into his, his point of view. And so we kind of all became friends a bit. And I came back to Seattle. I'm scratching my head and thinking, uh, my goodness, I'm in the field of muscle contraction and nobody ever mentions water. And, but water, you know, uh, two thirds of every muscle is water by volume. But if you do it by molecular count, as you know, I see your smile on your face. Uh, <laughs> It's uh, people don't don't know this, but if you start counting the number of molecules, more than ninety nine out of a hundred of them are water molecules because they're really small. And to fit in to make up that two thirds volume, you need a lot of them. So, and I'm thinking this is really weird because because um, the people in the field, including Sir Andrew Huxley and pretty much everybody else in the field, they they presume that water is just not there uh, that the muscle proteins are acting in an environment that's, that's pretty much like a vacuum. <laughs> the water, water molecules, 99 out of 100 molecules don't do anything. They just sit there like, like the bath water that you sit in if you're taking a bath. You know, they just surround you, but they don't really do anything. It's not quite true in the bathtub, but it's a different story. And, and you know, it occurred to me that that that's really strange. It shouldn't be the case. How does nature does nature put ninety nine out of a hundred molecules there simply to do nothing? Uh, a bit of a touch of arrogance in that point of view. That water, you know, and and even I myself had been thinking of water, not uh, thinking of muscle, not in terms of water, but this really created an awakening. So I gave I gave one of Gilbert Ling's books to uh, some of my. Uh, shall we say, more astute students. Um, uh, and it, every one of them came back to me with a similar comment. This is incredibly important. If this guy's right, everything else is wrong. I mean, it changes just everything in biology and maybe even beyond biology. So those students supported my, my point of view. Um, and I'm scratching my head thinking, okay, what am I going to do next? And my first thought was, I need to move the laboratory in this direction because this is so important that if it's true, um, we got to study it. And so we began studying it and, and we found a lot more that I never could have dreamed of. We found that Gilbert was 
I think not exactly right. It was on the right track, uh, as were some others even before Gilbert Ling. But also I decided to write a book. And the book uh, was, uh, it still is, <laughs> called Sales, Jails, and the Engines of Life. It was 20 years ago. It was our first incursion, my first incursion, whatever, into the idea of water and the cell. And I, I wrote it with the intention of popularizing Gilbert Ling's points of view because Gilbert Ling is not, was not, he passed a year ago, just shy of a hundred years old. He was not the world's uh, um, best or clearest writer. And I knew that I could present his ideas in a way that was understandable to dummies like myself, you know, uh, who, uh, uh, because Gilbert Ling's stuff is very difficult to penetrate. Um, you need to know something about physical chemistry and you need to think what Gilbert must have been thinking when he wrote that sentence and uh, doesn't quite hang together. But, um, and so I did it and, and the book received mixed reviews. Um, some, people, some people thought uh, uh, or commented, oh, this is Gilbert Ling again. Uh, this is uh, uh, the same stuff uh, rehashed and uh, we all know that Gilbert Ling is a crackpot, and so forget stuff. To um, at the other end of the spectrum, uh, comments like uh, from famous cell biologist uh, uh, from Harvard University, he must be right if he's from Harvard University, right? So, uh, and he wrote, this is a 305 page preface to the future of cell biology. That one I liked, <laughs> and, and, and so, yeah, and, and so that's, that's basically how, how it all started. And immediately, uh, I, I, I was so curious to begin studying water and, and studying the ideas of Gilbert Ling and, and on from there. Uh, and that's when we started, and that was about 20 years ago. We started um, in my laboratory doing experiments, uh, expropriating the money that uh, was given to me by the National Institutes of Health to study muscle, and we used it surreptitiously to study water. And that's how it all began. So I, it's a long, a long response to a short question. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I love it. Um, you, you just mentioned um, cells, gels, and the engines of life. Um, I read the fourth phase of water first, and I thought that blew me away. And then, and then I read cells, gels, and the engines of life, and um, that sort of really knocked my socks off because it sort of threw everything that I'd learned about um, cell biology, particularly about the membrane, um, out. Um, because you talk about how Gilbert did all this work showing that uh, if there was a pump for everything that we were discovering there needed to be a pump for, there'd be no energy left to run the cell. Um, so Absolutely. Yeah. I was just, I was just wondering how, how is a cell sort of going through its, its, um, its motions if the membrane isn't, um, isn't embedded with all of these pumps and, uh, integral membrane proteins that, you know, transfer things, uh, these minerals in and out, where's the energy coming from? Good question. Um, uh actually great question where is the energy coming from and uh, 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 I'm trying to think of where to start because I, I suspect that people who are watching um, 
are not familiar with, with the developments that came after Gilbert Ling that have come from our lab, which is really the subject of the fourth phase of water um, mm -hmm. uh, and beyond. Um, and, and, and so in order, to, in order to explain where the energy comes from, I need to step back a few steps and say a few words about, about what Gilbert Ling called structured water and what we call fourth phase of water or exclusion zone, EZ, you say EZ, I think, it doesn't work, it's not, it's easy to remember. Uh, so I, I need to step back because it comes from, I think, a lot of it, uh, how much I'm not sure come, comes from there. And, and so, so let, me, let me just step back and if I go off track, please, please, if I get derailed, please derail me uh, because I do have a tendency to do that. Okay, so we found uh, that when water meets, uh, if, you, if you take a container of water and you put a blob of material in the water, let's say a gel, uh, something like ordinary gel in dessert, for example, uh, but, and you put it in, uh, what happens is that, is that the water molecules uh, 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 that are adjacent to the surface of the gel um, the first molecular layer, when it meets the surface of the gel, it undergoes a radical transformation uh, from individual water molecules that are bouncing around a fierce number of times each femtosecond. Um, uh, um, uh, and what happens is that they undergo a transition and become an ordered array, a single molecular layer of, of molecules. And that array is actually hexagonal, if you <laughs> If you to look at this sheet of water that forms from this direction, you, you'd see a honeycomb, um, uh, basically tiny little hexagons lined up with one another, very well ordered. And then what happens is this ordered array of hexagons uh, serves as the nucleation site for the next layer of uh, water forming hexagons in the next and in the next. So, what happens is that these, these layers build one by one, starting at the surface and creating uh, this special different kind of water, which we refer to as the fourth phase water, or we sometimes refer to it as, as I said, exclusion zone, because as it builds, it's a pure crystal. And crystals, as they build, they, they push out everything else that had originally been in the water because uh, otherwise it wouldn't be pure. It's like a glacial moraine at the bottom of the glacier. You find all the junk that's been pushed out as the ice forms. And this is not so different from that. It's not ice, but it behaves in, in, in somewhat, somewhat the same way. The consistency is more like, as it, as it gel-like or highly viscous, maybe something like honey. So, so anyway, so you, you've, you've got this layer that grows and, um, and it turns out, if you look at the structure of this, um, it's not H2O anymore, it's actually H3O2, if you count the number of hydrogens and oxygens that are in it. And it turns out through measurements, uh, this is not conjecture, we actually measured, we found that typically this zone, exclusion zone, easy, fourth phase, has negative charge. And the region beyond has equal and opposite charge, positive charge. So you have something that's like a battery, negative charge uh, in first region, in the easy region, fourth phase region, and positive charge, that's a battery. 
Now, uh, batteries contain energy. Um, in order to build this battery to start with, I, 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 I need to mention, you need to put energy in just like your cell phone. If you forget to plug it in at night, battery is not going to be charged. Your phone won't work. I don't have to worry about that because I have no cell phone. So <laughs> it's no problem for me, but it's a problem for you. And I'm sure you forget. So you need energy. You need energy to do two things. First is to separate the charge as the easy builds. And secondly, to create order. Creating order from chaos always requires energy. So you're putting energy in. And we found out uh, through experimentation, actually through serendipity to start with, it was a, it was a young undergraduate student who, who discovered this, that uh, the energy for doing all these wonderful things comes from light, and especially from infrared light. And that is, you know, light whose wavelength is just beyond red, red being the longest wavelength in the visible spectrum. But of course, there's light that goes beyond the visible and, and it's infrared light, which, which is roughly not exactly equivalent to heat. Uh, so like if you're, if you've got the toaster on, you can see the red coils, uh, orange coils glowing and you say, oh yeah, it's, it's hot and it's generating infrared, but infrared is all around all the time. Uh, and, so, and so infrared is the energy that's used um, to create this separation of charge to give you this battery-like uh, effect. Now, the key point is you've got this water inside your body. Your cells are absolutely filled with, with um, easy water. That is the kind of water that fills your cells. And you know we discovered that through various pieces uh, of experimentation and work work by others and 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 so um you you've got you your cells are negatively charged and that negative charge comes from the fact that your cells are filled with easy water which has negative charge it's a very simple uh kind of uh relationship and uh you know but your listeners might not know that the usual explanation for that does have to do with with the pumps and, and the channels, um, the putative pumps and channels in the membrane. I say putative because uh, it's not so clear that they really do what they're supposed to be doing. It's not just the pumps, uh, but it's the channels as, as well. And so if that is not the reason why the cell has net negative charge, then there must be another reason. And the simplest reason is, you know, it's, it's almost like, kindergarten uh, sort of reasoning. Uh, the, the cell is filled with easy water. Easy water has negative charge and therefore the cell is negative. Uh, so that negative charge carries energy. You imagine, imagine a, a cell and it's filled with all those negative charges and they repel each other. They want to get away from each other. And, uh, and that the, the tendency to want to move away is potential energy, the potential potential to do work. Or looking at it another way, you've got negative charge inside, positive charge outside. It's kind of like a battery and that battery is capable of doing work. So it's a long roundabout way of saying, uh, answering your question. And your question was, where does the energy come from uh, to run you, your, your body and, and my body? And uh, at least some of it, some of it, I believe comes from electrical energy, which comes from 
the easy or fourth phase water. And, and this is elaborated uh, in, in the other book that you mentioned called The Fourth Phase of Water, which seems to have become rather popular. Uh, uh, so, so, so to answer the question, but if you read a, if you read a standard um, uh, textbook on cell biology, you'll read something completely different from that. And it will tell you that uh, it all comes from the high energy bond contained within ATP, um, adenosine triphosphate. And so uh, this high energy bond in theory is, is used to power essentially everything our body does. There's one little problem uh, with that that remains unresolved. And it's one that Gilbert Ling talks about, talked about in his various books. And I think his website still exists, uh, gilbertling.org. I hope it still exists. I hope that somebody is, is running it. Um, and he talks about an interesting observation. So it was many years ago, maybe I think 70 years ago, that some chemists discovered that ATP, adenosine triphosphate, that one of those phosphates has a so-called high energy bond. So that's chemical energy. And that chemical energy is then theorized to be used in all different ways to run, to run the machines of our body, basically. You need energy and that's where it comes from. Uh, uh, and, 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 and that became popular very quickly, that idea, because prior to that, there was no understanding of where we get our energy. And so the idea that we get our energy from ATP uh, is, was a popular one. However, Gilbert points out that one year later, some physical chemists wrote a paper, an extensive paper, suggesting that that's wrong. These guys made a mistake, a simple arithmetic error. There is no high energy bond in ATP. Um, and uh, Gilbert Ling proposed a different role for ATP, which we didn't go into at the moment. It's tangential from your, of your question. So, so the question remains unresolved. It unresolved in my mind and unresolved in, in perhaps the minds of some others because apparently nobody has taken up that, that objection. Nobody has said, yeah, I read the original paper and I read the objection and the guys who objected are right or the guys are wrong because they did X, Y, Z. It remains, it remains a question. Um, and almost nobody is willing to address the question because the idea that ATP is responsible for all the energy in our cells, in our body, it's sacred. It's become absolutely sacred. And so when it's sacred, it's not easy to question um, concepts that have become sacred that are in literature and are accepted by generations of people. But it's not clear whether it's right or whether it's not right. And it needs to be addressed, seriously addressed, by somebody who has the capability of doing it. And at the same time, I would like to suggest that if it turns out that ATP does not contain that energy, or maybe contains some energy, but not all that much, there is this other source of energy that I've been talking about, and, and that is the electrical energy that comes from water. Um, it could represent a small fraction of the energy that we use, a modest fraction, a large fraction, or even conceivably all. I wouldn't go that far because we don't have the evidence for that, but at least some. So again, if you had to guess, how much do you think is coming from the, the water battery? Oh, you put me on the spot. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, 
uh, usually, uh, l- let me put it this way. You're familiar with Occam's razor, uh, yeah. the principle? Yeah. yeah. You know, you got two ideas. Um, and the simplest one is the, the one that's likely to be valid. Um, you might say there's a corollary to it, and that is um, usually there's one mechanism, not two mechanisms. Um, and, and, and usually it's the simpler one. I think the electrical one is so simple. It really, all it involves is, is the breakup of a water molecule into uh, plus and minus, and, and they or self-organize in, in, in this way, and they use the energy ultimately from the sun. This is simple. Um, other, other ideas, um, you know, are more complicated. And if you were to immerse yourself, as I didn't do, because I, 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 uh, I, I, it was too complicated, uh, um, into a course in, in biochemistry where they talk about metabolism and where you get your energy, I was, I was advised to not take that course as a student. Actually, it was a young faculty member. I was just sitting in um, a course taught by a well-known professor who was very clear. And, and I sat in on the first part that dealt with proteins and such, and it was interesting. And I was advised to not sit in the second part. It was about biochemistry and energetics. And it was so complicated that basically it's, it's a, a memorization of numerous steps in a, a very complicated process that's not completely understood. So you take your choice. If, if you have to choose one, which would you choose? Well, Occam's razor would lead me uh, to go in the direction of the electrical energy from water. It's really simple. Uh, of course, it's just a conjecture on my part. I have no evidence that that's the case, but you embarrass me by <laughs> forcing me to take a position. So there you go. Oh, well, <laughs> any I, I, good interviewer would do. <laughs> I appreciate. Um, I, I really like in, in the book you do a out on a limb meter. That's I, I oh yes, out on a limb. I think that's limb. great. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, there are some ideas presented in the book that are you know maybe a little bit less certain than others, and uh, there's no better way than to admit that you know I'm not sure about this one, but. It's an idea to throw out and people can consider it if they like and otherwise not. So I'm, I'm sticking with this. I've got three books coming uh, and that's a, another, another story. And I will continue to use those icons, out on the limb icons, courtesy of my son, who is a professional artist, who is, a, a, well, anybody who even thumbs through the fourth phase book uh, will, will see that. He's really gifted, but... You know, he's so busy remodeling his house right now uh, that it's difficult to get him to finish what I've been preparing. Um, Before we move on from um, ATP, I I just wanted to get your opinion on, I mean, clearly it's at least associated with energy production. Do you think that the high negative charge on the phosphate group is sort of a nucleating site for this um, easy water and yes and i do oh, yeah okay. yes absolutely uh yeah you you you're really well read in all of this stuff and you obviously think a lot and the idea actually came from gilbert ling uh who uh 
what he referred to it as a cardinal adsorbent. Um, and the idea was if you've got this uh, a phosphate group uh, and you have water nearby, the phosphate group would help to organize the structure, help to build it. And you know, our view is a little different from Gilbert's view. Um, Gilbert's view is, is a, a stack of dipoles lining up. That was the structure that he was talking about. And we, we, we found it was wrong because it's neutral. And we found through our experimentation that this region is not neutral. Typically it's negatively charged. So the dipole idea couldn't fit. And, and, and that therefore, thereby we, we came upon a, a, a different, different kind of, of structure. So, uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm going astray. What was your original question on oh, that? I just wanted to know what you thought ATP's role was. Oh, yeah, yeah, wasn't? yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's, it's something like, like Gilbert's uh, idea where you've got a phosphate and, and the structure builds from the phosphate. We also have evidence that the structure builds from phosphate groups, from sulfate groups, from uh, uh, typically if you have a, for example, a, a protein with those charge groups on there, easy water will grow very readily or gel, it doesn't matter. If you have those groups uh, on there, then uh, the easy water will grow just as Gilbert Ling suggested that the dipoles will, will grow. So yeah, I, I think that Gilbert was, was correct and that those are, as he says, cardinal adsorbent sites adsorbing water, but actually, um, I think sites um, have build up of easy water. That's where it all starts. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I guess the burning question is, is drinking easy water the best thing to do? And if so, um, how will I know whether I'm drinking water that's being structured? And one thing I wanted to know is if you, you know, if you've got a cup, uh, is the, is the water that's touching the, the surface of the cup nucleating and then what's happening as you drink it? Oh, you asked five questions at the same time. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, sorry. Your, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, answer one. Uh, so, uh, I don't know. Uh, 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 well, the answer to your last question is, I don't know, it, okay. uh, it depends on, on the surface, uh, it depends on what kind of surface. You know, glass, glass is not glass. There are many different kinds of glass, uh, and also glass has a tendency to to build impurities on the surface. So um, uh, it's not the glass is not so called clean. Uh, the water, when when it, the water lies adjacent to the glass, it's not lying adjacent to the glass per se. It may be lying adjacent to some film that's covering the glass. We do have actually some experiment, not many, because uh, we, we did pursue it where we, uh, uh, we took a region of uh, a glass slide and, and the glass itself wouldn't create any structure, but a region of the glass that was very thoroughly cleaned uh, with aqua and uh, some other cleaning agents that really do the job, we could see in a clean region that the easy water actually grew. I doubt, uh, unless you're unusually fastidious, which you might be because I see that room is awfully clean and neat <laughs> where you're sitting. Uh, so uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you are, but uh, in most cases, glass is not clean glass. And 
and it, it won't do that. And your cup, I think, is probably moderately clean, but not all that clean. And so I, I, I can't tell you whether it will or not. Um, but another place that easy water tends to grow is at the air-water interface. So right at the top of your glass, it, it, it tends to, to build. It also builds um, uh, next to or around some uh, um, substances that are dissolved in the water for example, like salts, um, we'll, we'll do that. Uh, uh, and it also builds, if you inject one way or another negative charge into the water from an electrode, it'll build right at the tip of that electrode. So, so there are various ways that, um, that this water can build. And, and going back to the first part of your, your question, uh, which was um, about the health benefits of drinking easy water and how do you know if you're drinking it or not drinking it? Uh, well, okay. So how do you know if you're drinking it or not drinking it? We have a test and um, we found that substances uh, that, uh, substances that build easy uh, uh, water, uh, uh, sorry, if you have easy water, a certain fraction of the water that you're drinking is easy water. Um, if you put it into a spectrometer and measure the absorbance of light at different wavelengths, then if there's easy water, the, the, the water will absorb um, at a wavelength of 270 nanometers. And the more easy water you have in your glass of water, the bigger the absorption peak. So it's a semi-quantitative measure of how much, whether you have easy water and how much you have. And if you find no absorption at 270 nanometers, then you have no easy water. At least that's what we've uh, found in the past. And we use that as a measure. So if ever you or your friends or colleagues or uh, whatever want to, um, to test the water, all you need is a spectrometer. And every chemistry department and any university will have one and many other laboratories will have it. It's almost as common as a pH meter. Uh, so, so uh, you put the sample into a little container, a cuvette made of uh, quartz, uh, and you shine the light through different wavelengths and you see if there's an absorption peak, and then you know if you have it. So there are lots of companies now producing all kinds of waters. Uh, people are concerned now about the water that they drink. And uh, many of them tout uh, the water is structured or easy water or fourth phase water, the companies are proliferating and do this. We have nothing to do with those companies. Uh, they just like the idea of easy water. They've, I, I guess, become convinced that um, easy water is good for health. And for, you know, a general reason that is sort of almost obvious if your cells are filled with easy water, ordinarily, you want to make sure they're filled with easy water. Otherwise, you know, your cells are not going to be functioning uh, the way they're, uh, supposed to function uh, uh, if they don't have a full complement of easy water. So anything that you can do, or I can do, or you do it better than I do it, I think, uh, um, anything you can do to, to uh, make sure that your cells are filled with easy water should be good for health. Um, that, that's the, the general, uh, how should I say, um, uh, uh, um, theorem, uh, if, if you will, or uh, understanding that we've come to. 
uh, and it fits uh, a good deal of evidence. So if you if if you if you look back at even very very old evidence, there there are certain substances, certain certain things that you do, or substances that are part of your your life that uh, you know are good for health. And and it turns out that many of those things that you do or eat, take in or experience, uh, build easy water. And we tested that. We came up with a half dozen or so simple expedients uh, that you can you can use uh, to build easy water in your body and confer good health. The first the one is the most obvious one, and that's drink a lot of water. The water goes in, some of it goes out, um, but some of it gets converted um, to easy water. And remember, what you need to get converted to easy water, you need hydrophilic surfaces, and your body is just full of them, and you need energy. Uh, the energy is mostly infrared energy or heat. Infrared energy is coming from all over around you. You can't get rid of it uh, uh, unless you go to measures so extreme that there's no life uh, left. Um, or you get it from inside your body because you're metabolizing and generating heat. And uh, that heat coming from the core of your body uh, can be used to build easy water in all the cells of your body. So, so that's the first one. The second one is a shortcut. You can bypass the step of getting the water that you drink converted to easy water. Just drink easy water. And, and, and so that's what we were just talking about. If you find waters that do genuinely contain easy, you're one step ahead of the game. If you can do that. And one way of doing that, a very um, a good way, is to do juicing. And uh, perhaps you're, you're familiar with that. Um, my late wife used to do that to keep me healthy. Uh, uh, you go to backyard, you know, you, you take some plants that are growing, you pull the leaves on some of the plants. These are freshly springtime, early summer, um, healthy plants, and you put them into a machine that just eviscerates uh, those plants and squeezes out the water and drink the water. And the reason for doing that is if you, if you were to eat, eat the whole plant itself, you get filled up very quickly, wouldn't taste very good either. So what you do is squeeze out the water. Now, what is that water? It's the water from inside the cells of the plants, right? It's just full of easy water, just like your cells, being a healthy guy, filled with easy water. But the plant has even more because the plant's electrical potential of the inside of plant cells is much more negative than inside of animal cells. So, so there's a lot of easy water inside and you're drinking it. And so uh, some of the websites of uh, people who deal with, with health and such tout uh, the, this kind of uh, 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 drinking of the, this kind of uh, plant uh, water as being the simplest expedient that you can use to promote good health. And I, I've spoken to various health providers. In this country, we call them alternative health providers because, because, because um, anyway, um, many of them say this is the simplest expedient for obtaining or maintaining good health. And I can understand why. You're basically drinking easy water and the easy water is refilling your cells, um, cells that happen to be deficient and therefore not operating properly. Uh, not doing what they're supposed to do in the best way. Um, like your muscles, for example, 
you know, you, you're, um, you play two rounds, two matches of tennis, you're dead to the world, you drink some water, um, and you're hydrated again, and, and that's what you need to regain some energy. But if you were to drink water that contains easy, uh, my guess is, um, and I'm sure some are drinking it right now, in Tokyo maybe, uh, my, my guess is uh, uh, that you do, the muscles would be working better than they would be working otherwise, as would the other cells in your body. So that, those, are, those are two, two um, expedients. Another one is um, sunshine. Um, you have no shortage of it where you are. That's why you look so healthy, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. Uh, the sunlight is doing that. Sunlight, half the sunlight roughly is, is uh, infrared. Infrared builds easy water. You go out in the sunshine, um, you expose yourself to the sun. Uh, it builds easy water throughout your body. Um, where I live in Seattle, in the wintertime, it's gray. And when the sun pops out, everybody seems happy. Um, and the usual explanation is um, some kind of psychological effect. But it may not be. It may be. Uh, that could be part of it. But, but another explanation is that, is that the infrared energy is penetrating throughout uh, your body, especially your head. Uh, you're exposing it to the sun. And... Some of the wavelengths of infrared penetrate deeply through your skull and get into your brain. And we know that because you can actually use some of those wavelengths to image your brain. So it means the energy gets in and comes out again. So obviously it goes through your skull. So uh, that could be the reason. It could be that your brain is bombarded with energy. That energy builds easy water. Your brain cells, nerve cells uh, are working properly and and you feel your headache is gone, your depression is gone, uh, you go back into the default state, which is feeling good, that we were designed to feel good. And then the fourth one is the extreme of that, uh, the extreme being, being uh, a sauna. And I, I, don't, I don't know in Australia how popular these are. No, I would guess <laughs> not. <laughs> Have you ever been in one? Um, no, I mean, I've got, I've got my own infrared lamps. Okay. That, that yeah. Well, corner, but yeah. yeah. So the infrared lamps, uh, there, there is so much, so much information. Now, uh, someone sent me a review article of, uh, 4,000 references that talk about light therapy and, and, um, and many of them are talking mostly about, about red and infrared, uh, light that, um, is good for so many things. And, and, and of course, you know, my explanation for it, uh, uh, the reason that these saunas work is that it's extreme heat, whether it's damp heat or dry heat, uh, almost doesn't matter. You receive the heat, the infrared, builds easy water in your body. And uh, you, you, you walk in with muscle pains and headaches and depression and you come out feeling like, like a million dollars. Uh, so um, I, I think that's why, that's why it works. Okay, so the, the, those are, are, are four. Now, uh, two more. Uh, one of them has to do with the substances that you take into your body. And uh, it's, known, it's known from Ayurvedic times, uh, uh, 5,000 years ago, that certain herbs and spices are good for health. Um, and that, that information has been transmitted uh, generation after generation after generation. And it's only in the past 
50 years or so that we have begun losing that information. Uh, but it's coming back again. People are beginning to realize uh, that some of these substances really are good for health. Take, for example, uh, turmeric. Um, and you know that has been known since Ayurvedic times. It's good for health and it's good for so many different aspects of health. So when you think about it, um, again, going back to Occam's razor and uh, the idea of simplicity, you could think that, well, if it's true that really that turmeric is so good for your health, uh, either it has 30 different receptors throughout your body that receive turmeric and do something to the particular cell that those receptors are attached, or there's one mechanism that's operative throughout your body, 30 different places. Um, of course, the second one is simpler than the first, and if there's any substance that you can think of that's everywhere, it's water. So we got the idea, uh, is it possible, is it possible that the reason why turmeric and other substances I mentioned uh, is so good for your health that, uh, that when you eat it, it builds easy water. So we did experiments uh, on that. We added turmeric to our usual, usual system of building easy water next to a gel or next to some polymers and such. We just added, of course, in, in, in measured amounts of turmeric. And we found that at the same concentration that you might have in your body after eating food containing turmeric builds easy water. And so, so we found it's not just turmeric, we tried basil as well. Uh, so-called holy basil, same same result. We tried aspirin, uh, which you know is a natural substance coming from the bark of the willow tree. Same same thing. Uh, uh, and we 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 tried um, um, six or seven different substances. We published it, and every one of the substances uh, that is touted as being good for health, they all showed buildup of easy water. So. So it makes sense to me, and I think to some other people, that these substances, um, again, known for thousands of years, but you know, modern medicine um, uh, prefers pharmaceuticals, uh, makes good money for the pharmaceutical companies. Everybody's happy, <laughs> except for the side effects that sometimes include death. Uh, but these simple substances that have been known uh, from ancient times, and I'm sure there are many more of them that we haven't tested. Uh, and I bet they fall into the same category. At the same time, by the way, when we did these studies and published them two, three years ago, uh, and ghee, uh, especially that ghee forms, uh, you know, clarified butter forms the biggest uh, easies that we've, we've seen from any natural substance, uh, almost a millimeter in size, uh, huge. Uh, uh, amazing. We also tried a poison. Uh, we expected that the poison would do the opposite. Um, so what poison would you try? And uh, uh, we tried glyphosate. Uh, uh, you know about glyphosate, but your listeners, this is the stuff in Roundup. Uh, I don't know what it's called in Australia. It might it's have called a Roundup. Yeah. A Roundup. Yeah. And so, so you know, the, the plants that you're growing are modified, so they're not sensitive to Roundup. You spray the Roundup, it kills the weeds all around the plant. And since your plant, your corn or whatever you're growing is no longer sensitive to this weed killer, uh, it grows just fine, but the weeds get killed. Um, and, and then you 
eat this food, but you're eating not only the food, but you're eating the Roundup or the life is the main uh, substance. Um, and since you've had Stephanie Senna uh, 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 being interviewed, she's probably world's expert on that uh, subject. So we tried it and at, the, at every concentration we tried um, from high concentrations down to the lowest conceivable concentration, always diminished easy water. And so at least for that particular poison, weed killer, poison, right? Um, um, it, it, um, it's expected based on the results of our experience to diminish the amount of easy water in our body. And uh, if I might go on there and you know, the conjecture is that other poisons might act in a similar way. I've been a little reluctant to test them because mostly these tests are done by young undergraduate students and they're not so experienced. And I, I, I feel a little reluctant to expose them to arsenic and to uh, um, some of the other uh, uh, common poisons. Um, so we haven't done those experiments yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if many of the poisons are poisons because of what they do to the water. And the water is central to everything the cell does. So if you don't have the easy water, your cells will not be working. And there's one more, but I'll, oh, I'll, so I just wanted to jump in. How about please. saliva? Um, I've made a habit of making the letting the water sit in my mouth and interact with the saliva because I had the had the thought that maybe it was structuring the water in my mouth. Is that am I wasting my time or? Well, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, it's a really good question. Um, uh, I just thought because saliva is full of, you know, enzymes and, and proteins that maybe that would be a, a great nucleating place for the easy water. So I've, I've never thought to really structure it before I drink it. I try and structure it in my mouth and then, and then swallow it. Do you think that's conceivable? Well, um you look awfully healthy to me. And so I, I'd say, um, well, think about it for a moment. Um, um, you know, so many of the homeopathic uh, preparations that you take, you put under your tongue, hold them there, uh, whether it's liquid or solid form. And the idea is it gets into your system in a, in a, a better, better way uh, or more effectively. Uh, um, but another interpretation could be exactly the one you're talking about, that, um, um, that the aqueous uh, um, solution of saliva uh, 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 or probably already structured to a large extent itself uh, because it has this uh, slimy feel to it and viscous feel to it, which is what we expect of easy water. And I would guess that the saliva itself is very well structured, but if you add additional water, I don't see with with the uh, heat energy uh, and the nucleation sites. I think you could be on to something really important. Um, I mean, really important. Uh, so, um, um, I, I, I guess um, I might put my out on the limb meter there, but I wouldn't stick my neck out too far on that one. I think it's likely uh, that you're onto something that could be really true. If you could do some experiments um, and try that, see if you could validate, it would be really interesting because um, such a simple 
expedient. And, and that could be what it's doing to the homeopathic solutions too. It's basically building, building easy water that contains information um, from the homeopathic substance. Uh, we haven't talked about that. Um, and I don't know if you're interested in talking about that, but we can if you are. Well, uh, yeah, since we're going down that, that path, I, I wanted to ask you about um, some, some things you talked about before about intentions and you, you've had people focus their positive energy into a, a vial of water and it changes the, the structure. Um, can you, is, am I, am I on to, well, uh, yeah, you're, you're, on, you're, you're, you're onto something that uh, may turn out, I think, to be a frontier uh, area in science in the future. Right now, it's considered to be a, a fringe area or an area replete with idiocy uh, um, and crackpotism. Uh, but, but I think there's something real that's going on there. And, and it, uh, I guess it all started with the work of uh, uh, Masaru Emoto, whose work you probably know of. Uh, I'm not sure how many of your listeners do. Uh, he was a spiritualist, not a scientist, and nothing he did was scientific. So uh, many people object to the kind of results that I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to mention. And, and for good reason, because uh, their results need to be repeated uh, using more scientific approaches, but I think they may be onto something that's really important there. And they found that if they, if they took a, a, a beaker of water and put, put intention to it, positive intention, meaning I love you or thinking positive thoughts, and they freeze the water, um, the crystals that form are beautiful crystals. And if they're thinking the opposite, and oh, the world out there is just nasty and ugly and I hate it and I hate you and I hate everything around me. Um, freeze the water, you get ugly crystals. And the problem is they would freeze 50 little Petri dishes filled with one kind of water and 50 dishes with the other and pick out the ones that showed what they wanted to show most clearly. It doesn't mean the others didn't show it, but they picked the ones that showed it. And so, so they have gotten a reputation as, you know, this as being unscientific, but this has been repeated by so many people uh, with actually similar results and, and other groups using slightly different uh, methodologies, but getting also similar results. And so there's really good reason to think there's, there's something, something to it, but it goes, it goes beyond that. Um, I mean, this is the, the, the concept is the water contains information, subtle energies coming from you, uh, coming from what you're thinking or feeling. And it could be that the two of us uh, are communicating in that way through subtle energies. You know, someone may walk into your room um, and, and start chatting with you, but it's more than just you receive information beyond just what the person is saying, right? There's a kind of feeling that you get about the person who's there, a kind of subtle feeling. Um, and you may sense something from that, that feeling and you're picking up that information somehow and nobody understands how, but experiments have been done uh, by various people that demonstrate that there's a kind of energy not well understood that's emanating from that visitor to you. And it, it comes from the water, um, the water 
And I think it comes from the easy water because easy water is like a crystal and, um, and crystals store information, just like crystals of silicon that are in your laptop uh, computer or in your cell phone. Um, <coughs> they, they store in information. And so uh, it is very likely from all the, the studies that I've seen, there've been quite a few, we, we organize each year in, in now in, in Germany, the annual conference um, on the uh, physics, chemistry and biology of water. Um, and this is number 15 coming up. And each year uh, there'll be two or three presentations, each person using a different method and they come to the same conclusion. The water contains information, memory. And some people's careers have been uh, cut short because they claim to have evidence about that. Um, and uh, one doesn't know whether the reason that these lives were cut short uh, is, is uh, 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 cut short for standard medical reasons or something, something beyond because um, these people were espousing something really radical. And, and it seems based on the evidence that I've seen that there really is something to it. And so right now we ourselves in my laboratory, which I run at University of Washington in Seattle, are doing experiments. And uh, so we, we have people who, are, who claim to be healers, who have healing power, who can impart their energy to sick people and make them better. Um, and, and we've recruited, uh, so far we've done, I think six rounds, five or six rounds of experiments. And we have not analyzed the data yet. Um, so I can't tell you uh, whether the results will be positive or negative, but I'm kind of got my fingers crossed. Um, so they sit beside um, a beaker of water and they impart uh, healing energy to the water itself. And, um, um, and we measure the physical properties of the water just before they start and then after they start and then for some days after as well, see if there's a change in the water. I, I, I'm not sure yet. I, there are some hints that there are some changes. And um, um, if so, if so, not sure yet, uh, we will have then positive evidence that healers have some capacity through subtle energies to change the structure. We're, we're measuring all kinds of uh, five different methods to measure the structure of the water, that some aspect of structure has changed. Uh, so I don't know if it's true or not, but we'll be, uh, and next on the agenda is healers who do remote healing, who claim to have powers, be able to do exactly the same thing, but from 5,000 kilometers away. It seems preposterous how, you know, you, you can't imagine such a thing, but yet um, there are, uh, many reports um, that this works. And I've got to admit that um, I have a Chinese healer who's working with me right now, who I'm in Seattle, he's in Toronto. Uh, he's a famous healer. And uh, I wrenched my back because I lifted some heavy laundry from the clothing dryer and I did it the wrong way. And if you've ever had back pain, you know, they on a scale of uh, 10 to 1, where 10 is the highest, they can be 11. <laughs> uh, it's really, really painful. So um, uh, they've been working with me on an almost daily basis, and my pain is, now it's gone, and they're still sort of doing final touches. 
So we in the future want to test um, healers such as Master Shah, who's doing this, and his, his colleagues, who often will heal uh, uh, mass groups of 5,000 people or 7,000 people in one, in one shot, claiming actually it works better with many people. So at any rate, um, those experiments have not started, but we're interested enough to pursue those experiments because if it's true, it's so interesting. Um, it goes beyond anything that we know about physics and chemistry right now because all of the energies that we know about, uh, they diminish with, with distances, one over the distance squared, sometimes in certain situations, one over the distance cubed. And so you go a certain distance and the energy is so much diminished that there's practically nothing there. Um, and so if you send from Australia to me in Seattle, no way. But there have been experiments, published experiments, demonstrating that healers or focusing intention from 10,000 miles distant can have an impact. So yes, I think that the idea that uh, water can store information or have memory is a, is a cogent idea that has um, experimental basis and also theoretical basis. Uh, theoretical because easy water is pretty much like uh, computer memory in, in that the atoms are regularly organized and they can take on different states, just like transistors can be on or off. The oxygens can have up to five different states, minus two, minus one, zero, plus one, plus two. So, so all of this is as exciting as you can imagine, at least for me. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the, the implications uh, so we're, right, uh, are so huge um, because, you know, we're about 70% water by weight and if you can change change what that water is doing just by you know loving someone, uh, that's that's pretty huge, isn't um, it? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I feel the same as as you do. Uh, you know, the evidence is not entirely in, but it's very promising, and more and more people are getting interested in so-called consciousness and how this works. And um, uh, yeah, if you I don't know if you've ever had Rupert Sheldrake on um, one of your programs but he's the we master must, of all this we stuff. must have been connected because i was just about to ask you about rupert's um work with um using vibrations with water i know he's been um studying water recently um what do you think about his his work with using vibrations and how like how might that translate to music like we listen to music and we get huge emotional reactions from music could it be acting through water well, yeah, it, it could be acting, and it reminds me of the, uh, uh, yeah, and he's done and published experiments. In fact, he's come to our conference um, uh, to talk about it, uh, our water conference. Um, and if you, if you think about, um, for example, do you know about the uh, Tibetan bowls? Uh, what are they called? Yeah, yeah, uh, I do. Uh, what's the critical word that I'm missing? Uh, Tibetan... Uh, the they, crystal they, sound balls. The they hum. They hum, or they yeah. they, they vibrate. Yeah. So you've got you, and we studied them in the laboratory, by the way, uh, right. uh, somewhat. So you've got a, a fairly large, thin bowl, uh, and you fill it with water, and you start rubbing the edge either with your finger or the wet finger, which I've done personally, or or with some some uh, uh, instrument or such, and it begins humming. 
and the humming gets louder and louder. Uh, it's like almost like chanting, uh, and it's it it's it's known depending on the frequency. Uh, various people who are healers of sorts use various size and shape, uh, uh, thickness of bowls to produce different frequencies, which are said to have a good impact, positive impact on health. And the one thing that well, I remember more than the impact on health um, was uh, what happens after about 30 seconds. And I, I, I found this so astonishing. It was at a museum where they had one of these bowls in Germany and someone took me to the museum. It was a you know, charming little place. And they had one of these bowls filled with water. And uh, I was there with my late wife and we both had a chance to do it. And so you wet your finger, you start rubbing. And as you start rubbing uh, around, the sound gets louder and louder. And suddenly the water starts dancing and you have little droplets from that, that run from this bowl of water upward. It's like upside down rain. <laughs> the droplets go up and then they come back down again. And there's, as long as you do this, they keep doing it. So that interested us uh, more, more at the time than the healing properties. And, and we, 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 we came upon some uh, uh, theoretical reasons why that might happen, which I, I won't bore you with, but um, it's sort of like a champagne glass where the bubbles come from single points. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that, the people who make the champagne glasses, they create asperities at certain places and the bubbles all form at those asperities and they go right up and you ask yourself, how is that possible? There are bubbles coming from nowhere else, but they all come from those single unique points, one after another, after another. And the same thing in the bowl we found um, in the Tibetan singing bowl, I think they're called. So, so yes, sound uh, is important. And, and actually the Moto people began using sounds. They were, they were exposing water to music. And um, if it was John Lennon, um, uh, they froze the water and the crystals were beautiful. Um, and if it was, um, uh, well, you can imagine that certain kinds of rock, rock music, it was not, not as beautiful uh, uh, as, yeah. So, so yeah, sound, absolutely. And just one more point with regard to sound is, is growth. Um, um, and it again, probably has something to do with the water. I was, in China, and I was listening to a scientific presentation by a group of young scientists, and they also were interested in, in sound, the effect of sound on plant growth. They went into the forest. They chose two regions that were similar in all ways that you know they, they could imagine it. And one group of plants, they, they had a speaker and they played music, and the other one, it was silent. The one with the music grew much taller than without the music. So uh, uh, something is, uh, is going on. You brought up the issue of sound and I think sound energy, somehow the energy is impacting the water and um, um, more experiments have yet to be done. But the water is, seems to be a wonderful receptor of information of all sorts, uh, from light information to sound information to subtle energy kind of information that nobody understands yet. Yeah, cool. Um, keeping with that sort of vibe, you mentioned you didn't have a phone. Um, I wanted to talk about um, EMFs 
impact on on water and and the impacts that that will have on human health um, uh, we did uh, well first first of all um, um, I, first I must mention the book um, by Arthur Furstenberg called the invisible rainbow you've yeah. read it yeah 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 um, uh, the, the guy is I don't know how he's had the patience to put together an enormous amount of evidence that electromagnetic energy in general has negative negative impact um, uh, on our, our health going back more than a hundred years um, correlating uh, new advances in electrical mostly communications power lines and such with with uh, pandemics that occurred just as they came out, I, you know, I couldn't believe all the information I was reading. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I, um, you know, my, um, I, I had heard from many sources about, uh, about cell phones and the dangers uh, uh, that the kind of energy uh, that's used in cell phones might pose. And we were curious uh, about the effects on, uh, that might be mediated through water. Um, and we did experiments, and the experiments have just been submitted to publication probably a few days ago by, uh, hopefully he submitted it, uh, an undergraduate student who's now returned to Korea. And we found, so we, we, we have a little chamber in which uh, um, we have uh, some material surface and water and the EZ grows, and we could look at and measure the size of the EZ because the EZ excludes particulate matter and uh, we put particulate matter little spheres in the chamber and you can see that they're missing from from this region and we expose this uh, to um, a router from a cell phone and um, and we found in the experiments that the size of the easy when we turned on uh, the router it was diminished by something like 15 percent 15 to 20 percent of course we can't we can't know for sure whether the same happens in the body, but if the same happens in the body, um, then it's not cool because we need easy water in our cells. And so, um, uh, you know, so you think about Ted Kennedy with a um, uh, cell phone next to his ear all the time and getting brain cancer. There's no, not necessarily a linkage, but you know, one, it's, it's, it's hard to avoid thinking of that, that kind of, uh, of linkage. So I think this is important, and um, and so many of my colleagues have been talking about five G now. Um, I'm not sure if you've got it yet in Sydney. You're probably ahead of us. Uh, we, yeah, we we've got it here, and 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 the wavelengths that are used uh, are the same wavelengths that are have been used in in the past as weapons. Um, um, and and so you know raises raises some question about about the um, safety that's involved. And, you know, and I have a bunch of colleagues who are actively involved in that. I'm not uh, myself who have been reporting that this is um, as, as great a danger or greater than many of the other environmental factors that are impairing our health. I hope they're wrong uh, because this is coming on really strong, but, um, you know, judging from the results that we obtained in the laboratory with, um, Ordinary Wi-Fi, not 5G, could be a problem. So, so um, 
did I deviate from uh, responding to your question? Yeah. On, uh, well, on target? one one of the things I really wanted to ask you, you did a great presentation um, about weather and water's role in weather and how we don't particularly understand it yet. Um, I got me thinking if electromagnetic radiation is affecting the structure in water, could the continuing uh, rising level of um, uh, this electromagnetic soup that we're living in be affecting weather patterns? I mean, we, we know that HARP has been used for years to affect the weather. Do you think some of the, the extreme weather events we're getting could be caused by there's the huge amount of electromagnetic radiation that's sort of bathing the earth right now. Uh, your questions are about as brilliant as any I've heard. <laughs> I, must, I must compliment you. Uh, you. You really think. Um, um, I, I, it's difficult for me to respond to that because I, I, haven't, I haven't thought about it, but there is easy water up there, um, yeah. um, no doubt, in, in the clouds. Um, so many interesting features of clouds and weather that we, we don't understand and I'm hoping to, to contribute something to bringing, helping to bring some understanding. But it makes sense that it could. Um, it could easily, um, that could easily be the case. Uh, if, um, I mean, the, so the clouds, the clouds, forgive me for thinking out loud, the clouds consist of little droplets. Um, the droplets 40, 50, 60 micrometers in size, sometimes much bigger. Uh, but, you know, this is, this is typical. And, and we found, it's in the fourth phase of Waterbrook, um, that these little droplets contain easy shells. So there's plenty of easy in every cloud that you can think of. It's the reason um, why clouds have negative charge and why they're up there, because they're repelled from the negative earth, so they float. Uh, a lot of people never even gave it a second thought to why clouds, which are built of water, uh, should be hanging up there. Uh, you drop a pit, water from a pitcher, and it goes right down. It doesn't stay up there, but cloud stays up there. So, so uh, if, if, you, um, if you were to bombard the cloud with electromagnetic energy of the right kind, um, um, if that kind disrupted easy water um, uh, or enhanced easy water, uh, but particularly uh, disrupted it, I, I could imagine it could have a, a distinct impact on, uh, on the weather. I, I, pardon me, I have to think through um, how it might work and the consequences, uh, but I think you may be onto something that's really important. But uh, I guess I, I guess I need to say even more important, maybe not more important than that, but equally important is understanding how weather really works. And there's no coherent theory about how weather works. You just can't find it. No, nobody says, okay, um, um, I theorize X and we go from X to Y, Z, and then I explain everything from it. That, that, that doesn't exist. There, there's no, it's kind of ad hoc. You know, if you've got low pressure, then probably it's going to rain, and, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not, it's not really a, a theory that you can build on. There's no central theory. And so I've been trying to develop something, and it will be in the next book that I'm about to publish, if I can get 
my son busy doing the artwork and he's too busy finishing the renovation of his home. Um, Ethan, if you're listening, uh, <coughs> uh, the book is essentially done. It deals with weather. Uh, I've got, I think, four chapters and I do my best to, uh, to explain and I, it. You know, I think there may be some valid points in there about understanding the etiology of uh, weather ranging ranging from uh, drizzle to hurricanes um, and tornadoes and, 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 and all. But okay, so I'm, I'm just blabbering on and on. I can summarize by saying, I think you're onto a good point. Right, okay. Very important. Oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah. uh, you also mentioned that you're working on a sort of like a desalination sort of thing by using the, the thin strip of easy water to get clean water from um, maybe unpure water is, am I, am I characterizing that, that correctly? You are. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, we're trying to, um, no, a whole bunch of, of um, shall we say, perspective technologies have arisen from the fundamental research work that, that we've done. Everything we do in the laboratory at the university is it's not, it's not oriented toward, um, shall we say, commercial, if you use the expression, products. It's fundamental research. And one of my students uh, five or six years ago said to me, uh, Jerry, you know, we should form a company. And, and my first response was, no way. I got too many things to do. And, um, and I'm not interested in commercial aspects. Um, it, what, what really moves me is the science and the understanding. So, oh, you know, you won't have to do anything. I'll do, I'll do everything. Well, it didn't turn out that way exactly. Um, and, and the company in, has been pursuing, um, um, uh, has been pursuing, pursuing several things. Um, one of them is indeed uh, a filtration. Another, uh, I'll explain in a moment. Another one is desalination. And the third one is getting electrical energy from water. Um, and we made um, substantial progress in some of those endeavors, but uh, it's been difficult, difficult for us to get enough investment in that. Um, there, there are questions that remain unanswered. Um, and in order to go from a laboratory demonstration, which we've done in all of those, uh, to something practical, you have to cross the so-called valley of death, which is known in, uh, among entrepreneurs who do that. You know, it's a deep valley and to go from the laboratory demonstration, you have to cross over that deep valley and a lot of things fall in. Don't, don't ever get out across to the other side where you have um, um, uh, technologies available to the world. And, and some of these technologies are world changing. And this is really what prompted me to say, yes, let's, let's do it um, because the world needs electrical energy. So of course, if you can get electrical energy from the sun and the separation of charge that I uh, mentioned to you, uh, it's a no brainer. Of course you should do it. If you can develop a practical, we've demonstrated it in the laboratory, we can make a light bulb light, but going from there to, um, to something practical is, is, a, is a challenge. Also, we spent a lot of time on filtration and we found that um, the results were often very good. We could filter out pretty much anything that you could, could imagine. The principle is really simple because water comes in and that water gets converted to easy 
and it gets converted to easy. It pushes out all the junk that you want to get out of the water. And then you collect that and that water should be not just pure, but actually it's easy water that, that is coming out, which is good for health. So it has every benefit. Um, and a lot of the results we got were really good, but sometimes it didn't work as we, as we hoped. And, and what that means is stepping back and figuring out what you need to do to make it work more consistently because you can't, uh, I mean, a device is useless if it works 50% of the time, you don't know which 50% of the time or even 90% of the time. Um, and, and, and so, you know, it's, um, it's a challenge to, uh, to, to do that. Um, and also uh, the, the ultimate goal is to get rid of the salt as a quote contaminant. We should be able to do that in theory, we started doing it. We had some promising results, but most of the results um, were not um, uh, good enough even, even to report. So, so we're still at the primitive stages. And what you get from that is you can take ocean water and convert it into drinking water. Imagine if you can do it successfully and consistently. Well, of course you can do it. Um, you can do it by reverse osmosis but the amount of energy that's required to do that is humongous. And so it, it works in the Middle East and, um, you know, in Saudi Arabia, where in fact there are no rivers or lakes or anything. It's, uh, it's where they get their water because they can afford it. But for the rest of us, it's, it's unaffordable. But imagine if you have a system now that uses water and sunlight, um, essentially that's it, uh, next to the right kinds of surface. And, out of that, you get uh, water for drink. Uh, what a revolution that would be. And so, so we're inspired. This is not what you would call a, a, um, an operation designed to make money or, because that, you know, obviously you need to do something to keep the company going, but, but um, the goal is to do something for the world that the world needs badly. And, and the world needs drinking water really badly, whether through desalination or uh, through filtration, um, um, and it needs electrical energy. And so all of these are possible, and there's more, uh, uh, with technologies that could be developed from the fundamental research that we've done on, on water. And, and this is exciting. Um, my own passion is in the science, uh, not the technology. Uh, I started as an engineer, I should be doing technology, but the science is so incredibly exciting uh, that I, I just can't take my mind away from it. So, so yeah, long answer to another short question. <laughs> no, no, it's great. I, I, I wanted to get an update because I hope, I hope you keep working on it because it seems like it could be um, such a game changer in, in energy and in, in getting clean water as well. Uh, I think it could be, but uh, one needs the um, investment um, um, in order to, well, you understand that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd like to be conscious of your time. I know you're probably um, very, very busy. So um, we, might, uh, we might finish things there, given that you've, you've answered everything that I've asked so well. Uh, okay, well, thank you. I, yeah, I, um, I, I wish I had infinite time because uh, your questions are so, so powerful, so interesting, and so creative. Uh, um, but uh, I actually, I, I do need to go. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, 
It's been a great pleasure. I hope we have a chance a chance to meet in person. Uh, yeah. I, I hope to be coming to Australia to give a series of lectures. I was to have come uh, just around now, I think it was, uh, or is it exactly one year ago? I can't remember the pandemic issues have yeah. uh, prevented. Yeah. Well, um, so, please let me know if you're coming over because sure, that would be, be, that would be amazing. Uh, yeah, and you can take me on tour of Sydney. <clears throat> that would be great. I'd love Such to. a beautiful city. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. All right. Well, uh, thank anyway, you so much for yeah, your Yeah, well, thank you, Cameron. I, um, it, it was my pleasure and uh, good luck to you. Awesome. Cheers. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Gerald Pollock. I'm still processing the fact that I got to do this with one of my all-time heroes. I can't encourage you enough to read his books, Cells, Gels, and the Engines of Life, and especially his book, The Fourth Phase of Water. Uh, these books are going to be absolute classics in the coming decades, I'm sure of it. If you want to keep up to date with the podcast and all the other work that I'm doing, you can follow me on social media using at Nutrition. I have heaps of guests planned for the very near future, so thanks for listening. <laughs>